Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about curation and institutional critique. Today on the show, I'm joined by the curator, critic, and writer, Alexandra Cunningham Cameron. Alexandra is a curator of contemporary design and the first Hint Secretarial Scholar at the Cooper Hewitt Design Museum. Most recently, she curated the first retrospective of the pioneering fashion designer, Willie Smith, which includes a full exhibition, a book, and an really expansive online archive. Before this, she worked for Design Miami and was the editor-in-chief of the Miami Rail. This is a fun conversation and really covers a lot. We talk about how we define design today, thinking about it both as a type of material culture and a process or approach. We talk about designing exhibitions and using curatorial platforms as a form of institutional critique, using her recent show on Willie Smith as a lens to talk about many of these things. And then we also talk about her own introduction to design coming from the world of literature and the overlap between those two worlds before ending with what I think is a really nice conversation around research methods and how she looks for her next project and and balances that with her current work. I really loved this one. and I think you'll love it too. If you like this show, I hope you consider supporting it on Patreon. We offer three monthly tiers, $3 for students, $5 for patrons, and $10 for super fans that give you access to all sorts of bonus content like a monthly newsletter, early episodes, full transcripts, and exclusive bonus interviews, all while helping to financially support this show. So if you like Scratching the Surface, if you'd like to see it continue, if you want to see more of it in the world, I hope you consider joining us over on Patreon. You can visit patreon.com slash surface podcast for all the details and to sign up and help support the show. Thank you for listening. And here is this conversation with Alexandra Cunningham Cameron. This is this will either be a very easy question to begin with or a very hard question okay. <laughs> to begin with, Alexander. <laughs> At Cooper Hewitt, you are the curator of contemporary design, and I want to know what contemporary design means for you. <laughs> like, like either for you, kind of personally, or for you, kind of institutionally in Cooper Hewitt. How do you define contemporary design? Oh, definitions are so complicated. <laughs> Jarrett, you know, I think that I have a certain oppositional disorder that makes me not want to define anything. And I, I, not to not answer your question, but I felt like being someone who, who has come to working in a museum through a path that has been very market driven, like through a commercial path, that the constructions and definitions around um, art and design have been really about trying to create value and define a market. Um, and so when I think about design, I think about basically the expanse of material culture <laughs> and the built environment. Um, and what I don't think about is, um, actually, let me let me go back a little bit. Because I, I guess I also think about design as a process more than anything, you know, mm-hmm. I, think about, I think about an aesthetic movement towards function. I think about mm. technique and about intention, which is maybe more important than thinking about a final object. Right. Um, so, I mean, what you may have noticed from the work that I've done in my career is that you know, I, I, I haven't specialized right. 
in a specific way. You know, I've I've allowed for a conversation about design that I guess is fundamentally based in critical theory you know, and an idea of trying to undermine power structures or to try to pick something apart has allowed for a really expansive discussion about art design performance, um, fashion, writing, and those sorts of things. So yeah, I, I, I think about I think about process for sure as something that helps to get to an understanding of what design is. But that is a really convoluted response, isn't it? No, no. I mean, you. I, we think about it the same way, and that's kind of why I asked you the question because I'm also somebody who who bristles at these definitions. And my original first question was just going to be, "What is design for you?" And I thought, well, let's 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 specify it with this title, contemporary design, because when I think about contemporary design, and when I, like you said, you haven't specialized. When I was looking over the the different projects you've worked on, I, I kept, I was like. Is everything contemporary design? <laughs> like, yeah. like is so so maybe maybe a better. I want to come back to what you're talking about with with process too in a bit, but specifically at Cooper Hewitt, do you have a subject matter that you are focusing on there? Do you have a certain curatorial approach? How are you sorting through information to decide what you are going to be working on and thinking on when contemporary design kind of just means everything? Yeah. Well, I think, and maybe maybe this is a way to like flip the other question or to flip my response. I think you can find design in everything if you're looking mm. for it. And I like the idea of helping people find design in everything and to also think about how they might be designers themselves um, and how design is about value structure also, you know, which maybe gets back to the thing that I was trying to say before about about critical theory, you know, and kind of a trajectory of like how I've gotten to, to where I am um, at the museum. But I, I, I don't, there, you know, there, there really isn't other than, you know, a basic sort of curatorial scope of work that, you know, includes exhibitions, um, acquisitions, um, program development, you know, collaborations with the various departments in the museum publications, there really isn't, um, you know, a defined purview beyond maybe, you know, a uh, sort of time bracket for the work that they have to do. And so I think that I've, right. I've been invited to explore a really interdisciplinary and complex thinking about design in the museum. And I'm, you know, I've only been working at the museum for a couple of years and have just have just done one exhibition. Right. But that's something that I'm really interested in. And also moving beyond, you know, thinking about like curatorial output, right? Like what the people see. I'm really mm -hmm. interested in in the process of curating being designed and I've actually been working really relatedly on this on this transforming museum experience toolkit with 14 14 other museum professionals that has really been about design thinking in a way that I had never um, been exposed to because I'm obviously not trained as a designer and that's right. opened up a whole new world of understanding how intuitively some of the things I'm interested in doing in the museum related to like redesigning museum processes or institutional processes or the way that curators right. collaborate 
you know, or the way that museums, um, um, you know, structure their programming or their resources um, can 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 really evolve and change. I have so many questions based based on based on that. I really like this idea uh, of curating as a type of design process, and that's something I, I agree with. And I've talked to many kind of designer slash curators about the similarities between the design process and the curatorial process, and it it was making me think about what you were talking earlier about kind of the critical theory and, and questioning power structures and and value. And how you think about that in your role as a curator, where you are acquiring objects, where you are putting on exhibitions in an institution that, for better or for worse, has a certain, you know, kind of authority to it. How do you, how can you start to, or how do you think about kind of, I don't know, dismantling that power within the museum context itself, how you can use exhibitions to actually do that? How do you kind of actually think through that process in your own work? Yeah, I mean, you're right. The Smithsonian was established to, <laughs> to, to cultivate an American national identity, right. you know, right. which is such a such a heavy a heavy phrase to even to even respond to, to start to respond to your question with. Um, but what better place to start to pick these things right. apart, you know? Um, I, you know, I, I would say that um, I, I I try to approach um, like a spectrum of curatorial labor, all of the things I described before, mm. right? Exhibitions, publications, um, advocacy, research um, mm-hmm. as opportunities for for my own transformation, but also social transformation, right? By picking mm. apart, by picking apart these moments of existing power structures that exist, like in the world at large, um, within design mm. systems, but also within within institutional structures. Um, and I guess you know, I guess my process has evolved over time um, to do this through. Uh, context and also consensus right collaboration is a big part of it and as you know anyone who's had some design training knows like design is about collaboration you know um um, and so i guess the way that i try to orient myself to from the beginning of a project try to work towards you know to endeavor towards as best as i can creating a situation where a power structure, you know, speaking very broadly, can be undermined. I start with multidisciplinary research. You know, I look for feedback. I try to evaluate um, the project or the topic that I'm interested in within a frame of its contemporary relevance. Like, I'm really interested in context. Um, and and I think about the resources that I have at hand, you know, through the institution or, you know, through a, a personal network or a community of designers, whatever I have that might be able to move something forward and try to create a response that is generous and compatible with the actual project. Um, but all of this, like, has to rely on collaboration, right? With designers, with stakeholders, with the public. 
Um, and so these are sorts, these are ideas that have, have like slowly like evolved in the, in the projects that I've taken on, um, you know, while I was at Design Miami and then after, you know, when I was doing some independent curating um, and then, you know, into the Smithsonian and probably at, at Cooper Hewitt in, in, um, in a much clearer way through various aspects of the Willie Smith exhibition and more so in, in projects that I'm, I'm beginning to work on now. But it's, it's definitely not something that's, that's perfect. And I think that that's kind of the point of it. I know that it's, you know, right now, this conversation around imperfection in cultural institutions is, is really popular. And I'm, I'm fascinated by it, um, you know, because traditionally, curation has or scholarly positions have existed within a realm of expertise. And I think that that's something that that is eroding, you know, this idea of expertise, who is the expert, there's so many different types of expertise that um, should be brought to bear on any type of, of cultural exercise, you know, on anything. Um, and we have to be open to that. And so trying to create a situation that um, invites that kind of open exchange um, is something that is really important to me. It's interesting to me that this kind of connects to something that you said very early in the conversation about how you see design as a process. And, and now we're talking about your curatorial process. And it seems to me that one way to open up those dialogues to, to kind of challenge ideas of the expert or the authority is, is to make the research and make those processes public in some way, you know, actually reveal them in yeah. inside the institution or in the exhibition. And I think about this with design all the time as kind of like, how, how can we actually better talk about or show the design process? So it's not just design as a noun, but actually that, you know, design as a verb showing kind of how something got to be the way it is and what are all the values and, and ideologies that are embedded in that final form. And I wonder if you have thoughts on doing that in a curatorial context and I'm and and full disclosure I'm speaking as someone who has no curating experience at all kind of an aspiring curator I guess but you know it's, it's very easy to think of an exhibition or to think of the curator as putting together something that is so polished and perfect and there's like a clear narrative and everything's on the wall just so you know all of that how do you actually kind of reveal that process, reveal your own research or your own kind of learning and evolution through that in uh, an exhibition space or in a, in a book or, or whatever the different formats that a, a show might take. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that, I mean, there are a few ways to answer the question. I think something that is extremely important to say is that, you know, that institutions do typically publications um, typically present information in a way that seems as though it has one source where you don't really understand, you know, beyond, of course, um, you know, a, a list of references, what came from where. And behind that, there's this large group of people and researchers and um, and sources that have contributed to these ideas or these didactics 
um, you know, or this paragraph and, and finding ways to open up, to expose all of the different influences on a project, like a curatorial project, because I, you know, we sort of have this immediate, um, we have this immediate, um, reference to an exhibition when we talk about curation. And I think that curating is about so much more than exhibition and that exhibition is really just one thing and is definitely not enough or doesn't even need to happen in some cases, you know, but it's like exhibition with a capital E, the exhibition. Um, and so, I mean, the way that I've tried to, um, to open up an awareness around this like large, resource of references is through publications, right? Digital and, and physical publications. So with the Willie Smith um, Street Couture project at Cooper Hewitt, there's a formal exhibition, um, but we also published a book that consisted of 50 contributors, um, you know, half of whom were, um, were the ones who really built the research for the exhibition. You know, they told Willie Smith's story to us, um, you know, in lieu of, of institutional or published resources um, in a way that like really brought his story to life and was essential to the construction of the exhibition. Um, and then of course you commissioned new scholarship that was based in, in a variety of, of scholarly research. And to sort of take the next step in that, we developed the, the Willie Smith um, Digital Community Archive, which was a place that invited additional people who were influenced by Willie Smith or who had perspectives on his career or who had material related um, to Willyware or to Digits or to anything connected to telling Willie Smith's story, one of the collaborations with artists, to share that um, openly on the site. And so we've been collecting all of this, um, all of these stories really, and, and publishing them alongside, um, you know, the essays that were commissioned for the book and, and the recollections um, that were a part of our early research. And so I don't think we realized um, what an impact that would have on conversations around archiving um, and institutional narratives. Um, and, um, I, you know, I think it was more of an intuition. Like it felt like this had to happen in order for us to honor the process of, of researching and developing the project. It just, it felt essential. And we, we also felt like, you know, there, there's typically an end point, right? You know, you have a show or you have a book and, you know, there's a, a deadline associated with it and then you stop. But really, you know, something that I've learned in my circuitous path to you know, becoming sort of a, a curator at a museum is that curating never stops. You know, projects never end. You continue. You continue to find out more and more about a topic that you've expressed interest in, or a show that you've done, or an essay that you've written. The relationships that you develop um, early on um, continue to be a part of your life and evolve. And you, you know. As someone who is trying to, you know, create a platform or to share resources or to move forward a conversation in a certain way, like 
you continue to play that role, even if, even if the book is closed, you know, or the show is open. And so this website, in a way, you know, allowed for that conversation to continue and to acknowledge that, you know, especially when you're trying to tell someone's story or you're presenting a designer's work, you know, there isn't an end, an end point, you know, it's something that is continuous and, and that it, there are different perspectives, you know, that people remember um, events in very different ways, you know, people who experience the same thing, remember it very differently. They pick up on different details. You know, they remember something someone said, and the other person remembers something that another person said. You know, someone has a sense memory. Um, and and putting those narratives alongside each other, I think, gets at, you know, what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, this sort of deconstructivist idea of of how history has been told. And, you know, the fact that, that when you when you decentralize these narratives, these historical narratives, you get to truths. And that's actually like where the beauty is. Right, right. I mean, there's so much there's so much in there we could talk about. I'm thinking I always I always quote it's apparently da Vinci said this. I don't know if he actually did. A painting is never finished, only abandoned, which I've, I've always taken to heart. Um, but lately I've also been liking, I think our mutual friend, uh, Prem Krishnamurthy, uh, always says every project is a rehearsal for the next project, um, which, which I really like a lot. And I think kind of speaks to this continuing, you know, everything kind of continues. I will love that. I will just add one more quote to this bank, which is Yona Friedman quote. Yona Friedman has been so um, influential to me, which is that understanding something means misunderstanding it, essentially. I love that idea. Uh, I love that you brought up the the Willie Smith show, because in a way, I, that's been like your big show since you've been at Cooper Hewitt. And in a way, it, it summarizes so much of what we're talking about already, going all the way back to kind of questions of multidisciplinary. This is a show ostensibly about fashion, but I've heard you say, and when I was looking through all the all the, the kind of resources, it's also a show about graphic design. It's a show about film, about photography, about advertising. Like there's so much in there. Um, but it's also interesting to kind of think about it beyond the exhibition, that it is also a book, that it is this archive, there's this website. And I'm, I'm curious how you think about when you were kind of putting all of this together, how you thought about each of these pieces living independently of each other, but then also how they talk to each other. You know, like, can you can you, ex- you can experience one way if you look at the archive, you can experience another way if you look at the book, another way if you look at the exhibition, or you could experience another way if you look at like the book and the exhibition. And I'm curious how you think about how those fit together and then how they diverge and how each of those could kind of speak to these questions around kind of deconstructing mm-hmm. uh, the exhibition itself. Yeah. I, to be honest, we were thinking about how to create as many access points to Willie Smith's story as possible. Um, and we were really imagining the different audiences that we wanted to reach and how they might come to Willie Smith and and designing around that. You know, so Willie Smith is someone who who whose career and life was about championing diverse lifestyles and redistributing power of the fashion system. Right. So in a way, we were thinking about how to emulate Willie Smith's ethos 
in in our curatorial work and in developing the project. Mm. And so we looked at how to um, redistribute, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. institutional power. Right, that's like, interesting. Information, yeah, um, you know, to create create a platform for voices that like typically aren't integrated into curatorial didactics. Um, we collaborated also with the National Museum of African-American History and Culture on, on oral histories. You know, we leaned into biography and storytelling in a way that felt natural to how we had to tell Willie Smith's story um, because the majority of his life and work had not been previously documented. Um, and so it, 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 it wasn't, there wasn't a moment where we had a meeting at the beginning of the project and said, okay, these are all of the ways that we are, are going to manifest this, this work and this research. What happened was that as we began to research and to speak to people and to, and to see sort of his, his life and his influence take shape, we also read a lot of his quotes and a lot of his words. Um, Julie Pastor, who's a curatorialist, is part of the curatorial team on the exhibition, you know, had this brilliant idea in the beginning to pull every single Willie Smith quote we could find out of newspaper articles from the time. And so we had this giant bank of, you know, 600 quotes from Willie Smith. And that's sort of how we were led. And we understood you know, by reading all of those together, what he was about. My entire office during the planning of the show was just plastered with Willie Smith quotes, you know, and you see in the books sort of how you're led through these these different essays and chapters, you know, through the quotes. Um, and and so, and so, yeah, we, we sort of responded to what we discovered by trying to develop um, you know, new interactions, I guess. I mean, speaking of kind of reaching different audiences or, or how each of these, you know, platforms or, or, or avenues could reach a different audience, how, how do you think about audience for a show like this? Like, like do you have a, <laughs> is there like a person, you know, is there like a, a type of person that you are thinking about? Or how do you actually think about kind of communicating Willie Smith's life and work to, you know, kind of different groups of people? Well, it really depends. I, there's definitely not one one person that I have in mind or one audience that I have in mind. I mean, the, the thing that I found to be so exhilarating about Willie Smith's life and work is that he was also evasive about audience. <laughs> you know, he, he understood that he wanted to connect with a with a really broad, you know, what he called mainstream audience at a time when when um you know the fashion press in particular was trying to pigeonhole him, you know, as a black designer, um, right. which to them, you know, had a certain descriptive subtext around it. And mm-hmm. so he really pushed against this idea also that affordable clothing, you know, was not for what was promoted at the fashion industry at the time as, you know, the pinnacle, you know, the elite fashion system. He wanted to break down those boundaries, you know, and he wanted to toy with those systems of power. 
Um, and so, you know, he refused, he refused to play the game and, and answer questions right. about audience. And I'm, I'm not trying to do that. Now. <laughs> I, I promise I, I'm, I'm only mentioning it, um, to lead to how I'm going to try to respond to your question, which is, which is that we realized that through his effort to try to reach so many different audiences, right? Um, he pulled in these collaborations with graphic designers, right, to create these, you know, explosive new wave marketing campaigns in a way that no other fashion brand was doing at the time. He was collaborating with performing artists, you know, to mm, try mm-hmm. to bring this idea of of movement and expression to the stage so that people could see actually, you know, the potential for these kind of like free flowing, you know, transitional garments, like in action. Um, Mm -hmm. He was collaborating, you know, with (laughs) avant-garde multimedia artists, you know, and techno utopians, you know, to question the role of technology. He was interested in television, you know, he made films in order to, to share the work and, and his, his collaborator, Laurie Mallet was a big part of that. So he was looking at so many different strategies you know, the artist t-shirts where he was putting artwork on the, on people's bodies on the streets with Jenny Holden, Rauschenberg, Gilbert and George. So, you know, we kind of did the same thing. And I I really, I I like this idea of, of thinking about, you know, curation being led by, by, you know, subject matter sounds very impersonal, but by the subject, you know, I, I mean, the, the, yeah, that's that's so interesting, and and the reason I asked the question is is I I recently talked to Dayan Sujik for the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, former director of the Design Museum, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how kind of like how we're talking about right now, how design has become much more multidisciplinary. The borders of design are much more fluid than they used to be. And, and he said something that I've thought about a lot since is that, yes, that is true, but there's still these kind of like silos, <laughs> like, like he's still within design. And, and he would say at the design museum, if we put on a fashion exhibition, the graphic designers largely didn't care. They walked right by like, like, like graphic designers wanted to see graphic design shows, fashion designers wanted to see fashion design shows. I don't know if that's totally true, but I do sense some of that in my own experience with trying to blur these lines with this podcast and talk to people who otherwise wouldn't be in the same circles and going from like, you know, a a designer to an academic to a curator and trying to get them in dialogue. Um, And I see these different types of design where they're just kind of all talking to each other. And I'm, I'm so interested in how we break through those, those silos and start to get these different types of designers talking to each other and I was I was kind of curious how you thought about that with somebody like like Willie Smith at an institution like Cooper Hewitt they can't just you know uh cater to a specific type of designer specific type of audience how you start to think about breaking down some of those walls well as you know despite how things are are represented um you know in museums or in corporate structures in the industry in real life there is sort of this natural multidisciplinary urge. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, there are creative communities where, you know, artists talk to designers, talk to people who have nothing to do with the arts, you know, and everything feeds into each other. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that 
with with Willie Smith, we really wanted to take advantage of the idea that you know he he was a conduit for this type of creative community. And by representing that, we could have chosen to do a retrospective that was focused, you know, on formal innovations and the fashions and the different collections. You know, we didn't have a tremendous amount of garments, but it would have been possible to do a show like that. But mm-hmm. We wanted to be able to create a space where people from all of these different disciplines, someone who might only care about fashion could come in and learn something about graphic design, someone who right, only right. architecture, you know, and want to understand what site was doing, you know, with Willie Ware in, in the yeah. early eighties might come in and learn about Les Levine, you know, and not art. And and those sorts of accidental encounters, um, you know, seem to be a responsibility of the institution to create. You know, it's not something that always needs to be pedagogical, you know, right, or didactic. Right. You know, there's a way to create these sorts of happy accidents, um, and and through that, you know, in, inspire people. You know, I have this idea that um, is maybe controversial. Um, and, and, and honestly, I mean, not so controversial. I, I'm, I'm, I'm leading up to something that is <laughs> not so controversial. But one of the reasons that I was especially excited to work at Cooper Hewitt in particular is because Cooper Hewitt champions um, um, bringing in uh, graphic designers and architects to create completely new environments mm. for the exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I sort of have this idea, maybe it's because, you know, I, I grew up in Miami, but that there's really an opportunity to to create a vibe, right? To like move someone in an exhibition. You know that feeling? It's like that feeling when you, and we haven't done this for a very long time. I mean, some of us, some of us much longer than others, but where you step into a nightclub, you know, <laughs> you, like, yeah. that wall of heat hits you and like the bass reverberates in your body. And there's this totally intoxicating sensation yeah. of possibility, you know, and discovery. I feel like it's possible to recreate that in the gallery of the museum. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yes. Let's do that. <laughs> so atmosphere, I think, is something that is is really important. And Willie Smith certainly was creating an atmosphere. I mean, that was very much what, you know, the design commissions were all about and the collaborations with Namjoon Pike and um, Mm -hmm. Juan Downey. I mean, he, he and Lori truly understood like the power, you know, of, of an atmosphere to move people to appreciate something that they might not have otherwise valued. You know, and Willie Smith, when he first started designing, he was looked at as as an extremely talented junior sportswear designer, you know, and by the end of it, you know, he was he was collaborating really with some of the most important artists and designers of the of the 20th century in order to, you know, like completely change people's values around affordability, around gender binaries, um, around racial diversity and it's an extremely, extremely powerful story. And so, you know, like Willie Smith, like in the spirit of Willie Smith, we also wanted to bring many different people together, you know, to have a similar sort of experience that they might have 
um, in a Willy Wear fashion show. I mean, we 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 are not blasting music in, <laughs> in the galleries, but um, but with you movie, could we have a lot of video. We have a lot of. I mean, he was also commissioning music from from um, from uh, Jorge Socaras, who is a, a post punk composer and we have all of the soundtracks and so we've been very tempted but you know we have a lot of we have a lot of archival video in the show and so there's some there's some sound leak with our directional sound uh sound so we weren't able we weren't able to play the full soundtrack speaking of miami speaking (laughs) uh we've talked about you know your kind of circuitous path to museums let's talk a little bit about your background um and because i'm interested in how you got into design because you originally studied literature right Yes, yes. I studied um, literature in my undergrad, and um, and I got a master's um, in English from um, Florida International University. And my focus my focus there was on diasporic literature um, okay. and deconstructivist theory, and you know trying to marry those two things. So l- literature primarily of a Jewish and African diaspora. Oh, interesting. And then so then where did the design side come in? Where did your interest in design come in? Well, you know, I think it goes back to what I what I was mentioning about critical theory before. Yeah. You know, I I really I I had this sense that I was having this this conversation <laughs> with a very very small group of people in academia. And I was really interested in in trying to understand how some of these deconstructivist ideas also manifest in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had always been a lover of, of design, um, you know, not in any sort of formal way, but when I started to think back about you know, how I was raised, I was constantly redesigning my room. You know, I go to these garage sales and estate sales with my family where I was just like immersed, you know, in in decades and decades of of stuff that ended up in South Florida, you know, from all of the different people who've come through um, the state for various reasons. Um, and, you know, I was like moved by, you know, crazy like early encounters with architecture like the mm-hmm. architectonica pink house oh yeah i lived across from this development called quayside where don johnson lived and you would see him drive like his <laughs> colored like lamborghini or something you know so it was like coke yeah. cowboys like pool in the living room sort of um you know miami miami upbringing and and so i was like you know I've never studied this. I'm not even quite sure if it's it's possible to study it, but you know, maybe mm. I should try to pursue this career. And actually at the time I was writing my master's thesis and working in um, workforce development with uh, adults with disabilities who are in vocational school. Mm. And and it seemed like, you know, I could go in two directions. I could go into a into a primarily a service direction or I could explore, um, you know, some sort of career in in the arts, um, uh, specifically in in design. And it was right at the time that Design Miami was founded in Miami, which is a company that was, you know, run by a group of young women. Um, and so I just became determined <laughs> to try out Design Miami, you know, before I got too old. Um, and, you know, disappeared some like small liberal arts college in the middle of the country, <laughs> never to be heard from again. <laughs> right, right. Um, 
and and yeah and so I you know I I wasn't hired I like went through this crazy inter like process of interviewing you know that involved like small office rooms with lots of cigarettes and you know I was I was really seduced by the whole thing where I was like what is going on here um you know what is this design world and you know at the time also you know design mammy sort of became known for for connecting um specifically the western european design galleries with the united states you know they're they're probably serious design collectors who are you know constantly traveling overseas and sort of understanding um you know the sort of archaeological work that a lot of these people were doing but you know they were really finding and bringing incredible design works um you know to the market many of which have been acquired acquired by museums um and that was kind of my my introduction to this design ecosystem you know that involves so many different moving parts um but yeah so i you know i sort of i grew up at the fair that's how i like to think about it I've lost track of how many people I've had on this show who are in design but come from a background in literature of, of some form. Do you have a sense of did that background have you know have some sort of influence on how you think about design or the work that you've done since? Or is there something from that educational experience that translates into this world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, like. Literature and design are are both related to storytelling. You know, I mean, I I like to think that experience exists in language. You know, which gives form to experience. Yeah. Um. And and you know, experience is also very much influenced by you know the physical world around us, and those things are so totally intertwined. Um. And and for me, you know my my process as a curator you know which is is really become you know as a curator who's like very much focused on exhibitions right and 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 publications and um and that sort of output it is the responsibility of a storyteller you know and i i I didn't i didn't study creative writing i mean i was very close with um with the creative writing department when i was at florida international university they have a they have an incredible creative creative writing program um and i i was sort of like situated within within um that young group of writers actually one of them who became one of my closest friends just came out with a book called infinite country and i was listening to she's like on her book tour now her virtual book (laughs) tour now and i was listening to her talk about her new novel um and how she was she was trying to create this it's like a very slim novel it's called infinite country she's trying to create this like sense of intimacy and urgency as though she was like writing it from one breath you know as though it's Mm. almost like a daydream and i was like oh this is almost you know like my thinking about how how exhibitions need to sort of manifest for people you know where you 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 encounter this type of atmosphere through the story that's beyond the natural language the didactics or the objects that you see so I think there's so many parallels. I mean, I read novels as part of my research process, you know? Yeah. Um, that's big for me because I, I kind of want, I want to understand, you know, what what might be most meaningful for people. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm only, I'm only one person. I want to tap into, I want to tap into 
um, you know, what might move people, you know, what risks we might be able to take um, and, yeah. you know, and, and novels and theory and, and philosophy and lots of, lots of newspaper articles all sort of coalesce into, into a vibe. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. I know exactly what you mean. And it, this, it's a perfect setup. I have like two and a half more questions to, to wrap up. And this perfectly sets up my next question, which I'll admit to you is a very selfish question. It's something that I'm just trying to figure out in my own life and work right now. And I feel like you might be able to help me. Um, I'm, I'm very curious about your research process and your, your media diet, basically. You have to both probably have kind of deep scholarship on a specific subject on things you're working on. I mean, the amount of, of reading that you did for, for Willie Smith, I can't imagine, but then you also seem like you have to kind of be always looking out for stuff that's outside of your focus at the time to kind of know what everything else is going on and what the next project might be and kind of, you know, who's doing interesting stuff or, you know, new books or something. How do you kind of sort through all of that? How do you how do you kind of balance between the focused research and the unfocused research? Mm -hmm. I think they inform each other. You know, mm -hmm. I, I sit at my desk with a stack of books <laughs> and, you know, a, like a, a full toolbar of open tabs. Okay. And <laughs> this sounds like me already. Okay. <laughs> and, and I go back and forth between the two, to be honest, because I, you know, as a curator, I'm I'm most interested in pursuing projects that have contemporary relevancy, and mm -hmm. I think that's an important distinction to make because there are incredible researchers who you know are focused on one specific type of research and are going down this path and are continuing to build on this research, um, you know. And, and I'm the person who takes this research <laughs> and marries it with a variety of other influences to try to contextualize right. it for, for a much broader audience, for various audiences. And I think those audiences do change depending on the project. You know, it's not, it, it's not necessary to just like think about one audience all the time. And that is like your audience. You know, I think that we, mm -hmm. we, have, to, we, have, we have the opportunity you know, and the responsibility to think of many audiences and, and to speak to different types of people, depending on, you know, the, the concern of the project. Um, right. So I don't, I think they naturally inform each other. It's very difficult for me to think of something outside of, of like out of context, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the reason, the reason I ask it is like, I feel like I'm always kind of struggling between you know, for example, researching you for this show and like, you know, reading everything that you had written and watching, uh, watching your interviews, but then also wanting to figure out who the next guest is going to be and trying to, you know, always kind of scouring who other people are, plus any kind of like writing and teaching that I'm doing that I have to perform. Like, oh, there, there's like, how do I how do I kind of balance those things that I have to like focus on that I need to know a good amount about to communicate out versus just that kind of scouring, that kind of like gazing out to see who else is doing interesting stuff. You know what I mean? 
I absolutely know what you mean. And I think it can be overwhelming, um, especially, you know, when you go on a deep digital dive. I, I mean, I also look at social media. You know, I've been so fascinated by the Dankloid Wright meme page. <laughs> I think it's the closest that any of us have gotten to seeing into the mind of an architect before. I mean, it's yeah. it's really fantastic. And, you know, what I would say is that you essentially have to go with your gut, you know, like you expose yourself to all of this research. You try, you, you try to understand, you know, the streams that would, would be the most meaningful for people. Um, and, and then you go with your gut and decide, you know, how to move forward with the thesis. Right. Right. Um, and maybe, and maybe you have to change that, you know, and maybe you undermine, you know, I think this idea also that, that curators or institutions are providing answers is, is a problem, mm, you know, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, is about detonating ideas, you know, it's about a provocation, you know, we're not providing solutions or answers, you know, we're providing like a, a critical frame for people to think about life and themselves, um, designers and artists. I, I love that. It, it also kind of brings this conversation full circle. This is exactly kind of where we started. So it's a perfect um, kind of setup for my last question, which also relates to the previous question. I'm curious what you're reading right now. What can you tell me some of those stacks of books on your desk right now? All right. So right now, I'm reading We Too, Essays on Sex Work and Survival. Mm. I'm reading Hervé Guibert, To the Friend Who Did Not Save My Life. I'm reading Jama- rereading Jamaica Kincaid, At the Bottom of the River. Um, I'm reading Edith Wharton. <laughs> I'm reading uh, John Fassman's book on surveillance. I'm reading Jan oh, yeah. Boland's new book, the only design book here. <laughs> No, I love that. I love that. I love that about that stock. No, I prefer the non-design books, to be honest. I have the the new Enzo Mari book here. I wrote a a short essay for that one, and it just just arrived from the Triennale, so I've been going through that. Um, Let's see. I have a K. Dick book over here. And some Derrida. Mm. Derrida, Archive Fever. I'm I'm writing an essay, actually, uh, Jared Ernest. Is, mm, nice. is editing um, an issue of a magazine that's focused on on archives, and so I'm I'm writing an essay about archiving and Billy Smith and that experience. Um, oh, nice! So I'm getting I'm getting getting into the psychoanalytic side of archiving. I love that. That is a stack. That is a great. <laughs> a few stack more, but I'm kind of like I'm. I don't want to. I can't give away all my secrets, Jarrett. No, that is that is way more than anyone has ever given me at the end of the show before. So I love that answer. That was the best answer to uh, to that question that anyone's ever given on the show before. This was such a fun conversation for me. I really, uh, really enjoyed this and really like kind of hearing how you think about your work. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I mean, I I feel like I, I'm already looking forward to our next conversation, hopefully in person. This episode was recorded on March 26th, 2021. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can support the show on Patreon and find previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.